0: Like he said, I am Nathan. I almost said Pastor Nathan. I don't like the pastor. My first name is Nathan, not Pastor. So my name is Nathan. I am the Connection and College Pastor here at Hope Fellowship. I'm super excited to be with you guys, speaking with you guys today, continuing our series in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So you guys can go ahead. Flip there now in your Bibles, pull up your devices, whatever you got today, just turn there. Now, I really do just want to jump in again today because of how much is in this text. And specifically in this chapter, Paul here is transitioning to a new theme. I don't know if you know this, but over the past four chapters, Paul has driven in a lot that we are justified by faith alone. That we are declared righteous through nothing else other than the grace of Jesus. He has been driving that in uh, for four chapters. But here in this chapter 5, as Pastor Mark covered on it last week, he's transitioning to this new idea of how we interact with the sin in this world now that we have been declared righteous by Jesus. How does that affect how we interact with the sin in the world? Pastor Mark last week preached on this, and he had a lot of good points, but one of the biggest takeaways for me last week was when he was emphasizing Romans 5.5 5 when Paul writes, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's this idea of hope that in, in a world where sin is here and in a world where, where we are still imperfect but have been declared righteous in Jesus, it is this hope in Jesus that we are called to strive for. And so that's what I want to build on today. This idea of this hope in Jesus and making sure we're placing our hope in Jesus. But before we get into it today, would you guys please pray with me and also for me uh, today? Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just pray over this time of worship that we have together just to dive into your word, God, and, and hear what you have to say to us today. God, I pray for every single person in the room today, including myself, that you would just break down our hearts and that you would just let these words uh, just wash over us and let us meditate on these words, God. We thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've not turned to Romans 5, do so now, and let's read Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Pause here. Because Paul here is introducing an essential point that is setting up the rest of these nine verses. Basically, what Paul here is saying is that one man did one thing that led to one consequence. One man did one thing that led to one universal consequence. Basically, what he's saying is that one person ruined it for everyone. Has anybody ever experienced where one person ruins it for everyone? Yes, I can remember way back in high school when our teachers would give us these incentives, like if we did well enough on a test or if everyone behaved, that we would get like this donut party or a movie party at the end of the week. Normally it was a movie on VHS that none of us really wanted to watch anyways, but it was still just a movie, so we wanted to get to it, right? And so... I can still remember, though, that at the end of the week when it would come time, someone would pull down that average test grade, and it was never me, promise you. It was never me that pulled down that average grade. Or someone would be just acting up, and they would cause the points to be deducted, and all of a sudden, we would not get the party. Even though 28 people did what they were supposed to do, one person didn't do what they were supposed to do. And every single time that happened, the knee-jerk reaction of every other person in that class who did what they were supposed to, basically just said, That's not fair. That's not fair. And if you're a parent in the room today or if you have siblings, you've probably been a part of this type of justice system before, right? Where mom and dad just say, you know what? No, we're done here. No one gets it. You know what? No Xbox for anyone. No, no one gets to go out to eat after Sunday because you guys are just fighting in the backseat. They ruin it for everyone. And I think that's our knee jerk reaction as a human to say that's not fair. I think that that can be our knee-jerk reaction just to these first three verses when God says that we are all being held accountable for one man's sin thousands of years ago. We can say, God, that's not fair, right? God, I didn't eat the apple from the tree. God, if it was me living in that paradise, God, I would not have given that up for an apple. I mean, maybe something better, but an apple, I mean, come on. We know it's more than an apple. I know that. But what he's saying here is that our knee-jerk reaction with this truth is for us to say, that's not fair. And he knows this probably because Paul had that thought too when he first heard this gospel, right? But because uh, he knows this, because he knows this is going to be our knee-jerk reaction, he introduces this fundamental paradox of humanity and its depravity. It's this paradox that we're all born into an imperfect, messed up, separated world from God, and yet we also do actions ourselves that make us messed up, ...imperfect and separated from God. We're all sinful through Adam's action. Every single one of us are being held accountable for Adam's sin... ...and yet we are also being held accountable for our own sins. And what this paradox does is it gets rid of any excuses that we could ever have. It gets rid of that that's not fair mentality. Because yes, while we are born into an imperfect world... ...where we are already separated from God... ...and we are not inheriting a relationship with God... ...because it was destroyed thousands of years ago by a man named Adam... We still do things that separate us from God. We still sin. That even if we were perfect, right? Even if we could live this life and be perfect, we would still have Adam's sin that would make us imperfect. And even if Adam's sin, we weren't accountable for it, well, we would still sin and disobey God. So it's this paradox. It gets rid of all of these excuses. And basically what he is trying to drive in here is that on our own, we are hopeless and helpless. What an encouraging message today, right? Wow, we are all hopeless and helpless. He's trying to get us to understand that every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of us are helpless and hopeless unless someone comes into our life, steps in, and saves us. But remember, at the end of these three verses, he says, Adam is a type of the one who is to come. Adam is an example of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, man, Adam is a really sucky example of Jesus. Yes, absolutely, he is a terrible example of Jesus. But they do have some things in common. We have to keep reading in verse 17 and 18 to see just how. Paul writes, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. These two verses show that the similarities between Adam and Jesus were the fact that they were both men, they both lived on this earth, they both did one action, and that action both led to one consequence. Except where Adam's action was this act of disobedience that brought about sin and the reign of death into the world, Jesus' was a little different. Just, Just a little different. Jesus was a perfect man, the action that he did was die on a cross and be raised to life on the third day. And the consequence of his action was that death was conquered and vanquished forever. And Jesus stepped into his role as king of the heavens and king of the earth. A little bit of a different, uh, you know, different people I would say. The best part of all of this is that it was nothing that you or I did. It was purely because of Jesus. It wasn't how well we followed a law. It wasn't how good of a person we were. It wasn't even how well we loved God. It was purely out of his great love for us and so that he, more of his glory would be revealed. This transfer of power from death To life through Jesus becomes the fundamental point for your faith and my faith because it takes this paradox that Paul just drove into our minds and it says, hey, it doesn't matter now that Adam, we are all being held for Adam's actions. It doesn't matter now that you yourself have separated yourself from God because now all you have to do is have faith in me, put your faith in me and declare me as Lord of your life and you will be forgiven. That's a pretty awesome truth, right? This whole paradox that is separating us from this amazing, intimate relationship with Jesus has now been vanquished and conquered through now the reign of Jesus. Paul here makes this comparison in these nine verses, not to show how much he knows about the Old Testament, not to show how well-versed he was in the man of Adam, not even to start these theological debates and arguments over how much more Adam and Jesus were similar. No, the reason he's comparing Adam to Jesus through so many verses is to show us one thing, and that is that Jesus is better. He's trying to show us that not only is Jesus better, but now he's also higher, That Jesus is enough, and he's not just wanting to sit on the throne in heaven, but he's also wanting to sit on the throne of our hearts. Because bringing it back to what Pastor Mark preached on last week, only when Jesus is sitting on the throne of our hearts will you and I ever find true life, peace, and a hope that never disappoints. And this is kind of like my geek out moment of this text. And anything that Paul does, what I love about Paul is that in all of his writings, he's always pointing us to a question. Whenever we start reading through this text, I don't know if this happens to you guys. I, I'm sure it does. I'm pretty confident it does, but I can't speak for everyone in the room. But when you're reading the text, all of a sudden questions start to start like popping into your head. And for me today, I think that there's a really important question for us to answer today based on what Paul here is writing. And it's this question of who reigns in your life? Who is reigning in your life, we wrap up today. That's right. I said wrap up. Ten minutes in, I'm already saying wrap up. But don't worry, this last point will take a little bit more than ten minutes. But we wrap up today with verse 21, when Paul writes, "So that as sin reigned in death, circle reigned, grace also might reign, circle reign through righteousness, leading to an eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord." I don't know if you've noticed this. We haven't. Had to, we're not going to have time to cover all of these verses in this section. But he mentions the word reign a whole lot of times. He mentions the word Jesus Christ emphasizing his lordship. And he even mentions this word Lord. Because Paul here is implying to us that there is a ruler. That there is someone in charge and there is someone in control. Whether you are living under this reign of death or you're living under this reign of life. Someone is in control. Okay, let's see. Over the past few months... This is where it gets a little tough because over the past few months with COVID and all these changes that our society has had to make. With the upcoming election, one thing I've really noticed about every single one of us is we really care who's in control and no one is really in control. (laughs) With everything happening, I feel like I've realized these two really big truths that we really care who is in control. And the flip side of that is that no one on this earth is really in control control. It's kind of a sad realization, but the more the craziness has increased, I feel like the more this has been almost exposed of this fact that we have misplaced our hope in so many different things because we think that they have control. We think that we have control, and so we've put our hope in that. I think that when we talk about someone reigning in our life, we have to clarify that whatever or whoever is reigning in our life is also the thing that is going to find our hope. Whatever is reigning in your life today is also going to be where your hope is put. If you look around, you see people, both Christians and non-Christians, placing their hope in politics in presidents and legislation. Nathan, you're not supposed to be talking about this. I, just let me go, okay? We see them putting their hope in these things, thinking that, that if this person will get elected, if this legislation will get passed, man, then everything will start to look better. Man, then the world will go perfectly and we'll, and we'll, and we'll get exactly where we're supposed to be. We see people putting their hope in even guidelines and laws saying, well, if people just follow the laws, then we would be fine. We see, people, we, we see people putting their faith in their jobs. Man, if I could just have this job, then my life would start to go right. If I could have this job and I could have this amount of money coming from this job, we would be set, no, no more uh, bad things would ever happen to me. We see people even putting their hope in their spouses. Man, if my spouse would just do the dishes, this house would be incredible. That's not us. That's not us, Cassie. Or even if they would just act a certain way. Or if they would just do this one thing different, our marriage would be perfect. We see people put hope in themselves. Man, I'm the only one that's never going to disappoint me. Man, if if I can just get to where I want to be, if I can just go through some counseling and get to where I want to be, then I am going to be set for the rest of my life. In a world where chaos and death reigns, we so often misplace our hope in the things that were never meant to be the place where our hope was put. And yet we see ourselves putting this hope in people, in politics, in programs, in spouses, and even ourselves. And we see those things constantly and consistently letting us down. Okay, Nathan, we know all this is happening. We know the world doesn't look like how we want it. We know things aren't going how we want it to go. I know I'm not the greatest, but that's why I'm working on it. That's why I'm advocating for certain things. That's why I'm voting for certain people. That's why I'm standing for certain things. And to be honest with you all, that's perfectly fine. We we're were we supposed to care who's in control, right? We're not supposed to be, sit back and say, God's in control. I'm going to do nothing now with my life. No, we have this responsibility to work in our communities and in this country and in this world to push people to jesus to make this place look more like heaven on earth the problem is is that we are putting our hope in those things rather than jesus who is truly in control hoping that those things will bring about perfection those things will bring about this idea of sanctification we're supposed to care who is in control because we were created for a king the problem is we weren't created for any king of this world. If you don't believe me, let's look at Israel's history just for a quick second. Okay, that's why this is going to take long because we're about to go through all of Israel's history. That's right. How many books of the Bible are we about to cover in about 20 seconds? Here we go. Israel's history. They always have wanted a king throughout their history. Man, they wanted someone to enact justice. They wanted someone to care for them. They wanted someone to love them, to protect them. They wanted a king to be there just because everyone else had a king. So we see God give them this law. And this law was to help them push them towards God. This thing was supposed to help them see what they were doing wrong in their life and in their communities. And then they could go out, fix that, and it would point them back to God. But the problem with the law was that they started to think that the law was the thing that was going to save them, not point them to the one who was going to save them. They forgot that it was a mirror where it's just supposed to point out these imperfections and then them look up and say, okay, I'm supposed to go back to God. They were still wanting this king though, so God sent them who? The priests. They sent them these priests and these priests were there to tell, teach the Israelites how to worship, how to come back to God, how to follow the law, what to do if you, if you break the law, how to repent, how to draw closer to God. Except this position of power for the priests became a point of pride in their life and so then God had to send someone else. He sent the judges, and the judges were not it. <laughs> they created some really fun stories for us in children's church, but other than that, I'm not sure if they were good for a lot of other things. So then what did God have to do? Finally, he sent a king. They kept crying out for a king. God, give us a king, and he gave them a king. And this king was selfish, had sinful desires. This king was not it, and he started to destroy God's people because he was jealous of other people. So then God sent them the prophets, and these prophets were there to help the kings practically live out scripture. Almost there to be like their accountability partners that some of us have today in the room. The prophets were the king's accountability partners. And what happened to the prophets? Well, the people killed the prophets. So in Israel's history, they're crying out for a king. They're wanting someone to be in control of their life, and yet no one is never living up to their expectations because the problem that the Israelites had and the problem that we have today is that we place these expectations on presidents, on kings, on spouses, on ourselves that were only ever meant for God. We place our expectations and our hope On people who are living in a world where death is reigning. And when we do that, we are always going to be let down. Well, Nathan, what are you saying about my spouse? I'm sitting next to them today. What are you saying about me? What are you saying about my president? What are you saying about where we live? I'm saying that it's not enough. (laughs) I'm saying that they are not enough. I'm saying that they are not better. And if we're in the room today and we're confused maybe why the world looks like how it does today, if we're confused why 2020 has been so crazy, if we're confused why all of these things, why there are incurable illnesses, why there's polarization that's going to make this division through hate, when we see the civil unrest over so many issues, when we see confusion over what to believe, who to vote for, what even is true, when we look at all this, I can tell you that the reason all this is happening it's because thousands of years ago, one man made one decision that led to a universal consequence for all of humanity. Adam committed one act of disobedience that brought about the reign of death and sin in this world. But this is why Paul makes this comparison. This is why then he's saying, look at our situation, but look at what is better. Basically what Paul here is saying in these nine verses is that if we truly declare Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we transfer this power in our hearts from the reign of death to the reign of life through Jesus Christ, then our life changes. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 50 50 through 58. and Let's read that together today. I tell you this, brothers. We cannot expect our life under the reign of Jesus to look anything like what our life looked like under the reign of death. Living under this lordship of Jesus just does not mean that we declare him king and then we can keep living exactly how our life used to be lived. No, action has to follow this act of declaration. I think to my favorite TV show, The Office, I know, if you need a TV show, it's a good one. I think to my favorite TV show, The Office, okay? And this company that the whole show is centered around, Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, they're, I like how I have piano playing behind me describing this office TV show. Um, <laughs> but this Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, they're about to go broke, right? And so the manager, Michael Scott's freaking out because he doesn't really know what to do and he doesn't want all of his employees and himself to lose his job. And so what happens is that one of the employees comes in and he's like, you know, sometimes what companies do is they'll declare bankruptcy, Right? And when they declare bankruptcy, it kind of gives them like this out, and then they can kind of restart. It's like a fresh start. So Michael Scott, the manager, immediately gets up out of his chair, runs out to the employees, and just screams, I declare bankruptcy! Except, like, nothing else happens. Because all he did was he yelled it, right? No action followed that declaration, so nothing really happened, even though he declared it. It means that our entire life under Jesus cannot look anything like how our life looked like under the reign of death through Adam. When we make this declaration, action has to follow. And it's not out of this works-based faith where you, you feel this need to be working. No, it's if you've truly made Jesus the Lord of your heart, then everything is just going to change. I think the stories of people that had made God so supreme in their life that they did actions that shocked the people who were under the reign of death. I think of Abraham. Yes, he had his imperfections. Yes, he had some spats with his wife. Yes, he disobeyed God at times. But he had made God so supreme in his life that when it came time for God to ask him to sacrifice his son, he was willing to do it purely because God asked him to. I think of Stephen, a devout follower of Jesus in the early church, who was preaching the gospel, and he had a choice to make whether he could stop preaching the gospel and he would survive or he could continue to preach the gospel and he would be martyred. And he chose to be martyred. Why? Because Jesus had commanded him to go and preach this message. I think of my dad, who has made Christ so supreme in his life That he was willing to uproot his entire family, my mom, my sisters, and me, from from Michigan to Tennessee, to plant a church, just because God told him to move. I think of all of these stories, and it convicts me to look at my life and ask, who is reigning right now? Who is in control of my life right now? Is Jesus really in control? Or have I just declared him the Lord of my life so that I can get the consequences of what he is? Or have I declared Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I love the person of Jesus that he is? Because if we've truly declared him and made him the Lord of our life, then the big moments and the small moments, the big details and the small details of our life are going to change. He'll become Lord over who you love, who you care about, where you live, what job you have, what you stand for, who you advocate for. He'll also become Lord over how you spend those 30 minutes when you wake up in the morning, where you put that birthday money that you got, what you're listening to, who you are watching, how much time you're spending on your social media, how much time you spend together as a family, whether or not you put the shopping cart back at the cart return. That's a personal one. And he'll become Lord over every single Aspect of your life. If he's truly Lord, then every single detail is going to change. And yes, there is grace when those moments, in those moments when we fail to do that, there's grace in those moments when we mess that up and we, we accidentally make, you know, our spouse or even ourselves or someone higher, better than Jesus in our minds. But what Paul here is saying for us is that if our hope is placed in anything else other than Jesus, then we will find a life full of disappointment. But if we put our hope in Jesus, we will find a love that never disappoints. just keep trying to come back to this whole theme of Jesus is better. All throughout these comparisons, right? He's just constantly saying, Jesus is better. Paul here is just constantly showing us in this Romans 5, 12 through 21, that Jesus is better, better than Adam, better than any king, better than any president, better than any husband or wife, better than Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, better than any earthly promise, better than anything we could potentially place our hope in. Jesus is better. So today I want to leave you with this question of who is reigning in your life? Who are you placing in control of your life? What is your hope placed in? Because today I can boldly claim that whatever your hope is placed in today, whoever is reigning, whatever is reigning in your life, Jesus is better. If it's a president, if this person gets elected, then everything will start to go right. That's when sanctification really starts. I can tell you, Jesus is better. If your hope is placed in your spouse, I can tell you, Jesus is better than your spouse. If your hope is placed in yourself, this is the easiest one. Jesus is better than you and me. Jesus is better. Jesus is higher. And Jesus is enough. What an amazing truth for us to get to rest in today. So my prayer for you all today is not that this just goes into y'all's ears and then we go out into our weeks and then we just go, same back to what we were doing. Unless you're perfect, in which case keep doing that. My prayer is that when we really ask ourselves this question of who is reigning in our life, it convicts us to put and give all authority to Jesus the one who is better, higher, and deserving of all the authority in the world. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this truth that you are better. God, we pray for every single person in this room today and every single person who's watching through church at home. God, we pray that every single one of us looks at our life and asks this tough question of, of are you really reigning in your life has action really followed this declaration god i pray that we focus on this grace that you give us that no matter what adam has done no matter what we do god that you and your grace are able to forgive everything and anything so I pray for anyone in the room today who feels like they're putting their hope in something else. God, I, I pray for everyone in the, anyone in the room who's feeling like something else is Lord of their life and they're just not sure why they keep getting disappointed over and over again. Why they keep having the sense of this spiritual depression or anxiety over everything that's happening, God. God, I pray for you to convict our hearts and to show us where our hope is supposed to be put and who is really in control of our lives. God, I thank you that you are better, you are higher, and you are enough.